0: In Manhattan. <laughs> McGruer off in time. Got it! And can't just Stuns
1: Baylor! Welcome to Bring on the Podcast. Here's your host, A Hernali.
2: Welcome to another episode of Bring Out the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubottom is back with us today, basketball season. Eric, how are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm doing all right today. We'll uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah.
2: And our guest is the site editor over at Wide Ride 90 Light, one of our favorite Big 12 destination sites, Levi Stevenson. Levi, how are you?
1: I'm quite good. How are you guys? Very good. Very good.
2: And I guess before we get started, I should say it's been a little while since we did a podcast, kind of, I've, I've been trying to do a lot of work on, on some of the the Snyder podcasts, um, and we, that second one should be coming, it might even come out before before this one does, um, but we'll see. Anyway, obviously, we're talking about next Saturday's game, but this is Sunday that we're recording, and let's just jump into it. I mean, uh, yesterday was, it was a very different day for K-State, and I would say it's kind of been that way all, all season, you know, I... I guess when I looked at Iowa State at the start of the year, I sort of looked at them as a dark horse, you know, with a lot of young talent, but I didn't expect it to come together this fast. Is this team kind of ahead of schedule where they're supposed to be?
1: I would say so. I mean, because, I mean, even Iowa State fans knew that the, the, the freshman class coming in, all four of them are extremely talented, um, so we knew that they were going to be good, and then we knew, like, at least a few of them were going to be good right away. Last year, though, one of the big issues with the team was that the chemistry just wasn't quite right. Because you're in a transition year where you got a huge turnover, not a lot of guys coming back, so there's some weird chemistry issues and stuff like that that you could see last year. So coming into this year when you have four new guys coming in, a decent amount of turnover, especially in the main rotation, there was some concern about how quickly they would come together. But obviously that has not been an issue so far, so I would say they're definitely ahead of schedule. Yeah, yeah.
2: And so then that kind of leads into how expectations have changed. And let's start with K-State. Eric, I don't know about you. I feel like you know, we expected this team to be maybe a top four seed competing for a Big 12 title. And now you're just kind of hoping they can hang on and, and get into the tournament somehow.
0: That's really what it's looking like right now. I mean, there's the team is in such disarray offensively that it's hard really looking at us playing anybody in the Big 12 right now and chalking it up as a win. You know, Oklahoma State is probably the opponent that would be the closest to that right now. But the bits and pieces I've seen of other league teams, you know, Iowa State certainly comes to mind. You know, going from this dark horse, you know, bottom half of the conference preseason to looking like a very scary basketball team. You know, even even going into a West Virginia having a down year. That I watched that game between them and Texas Tech, and uh, I don't know. I just I see us having trouble scoring against anybody right now, and it, <laughs> you know, as we saw on Saturday against Texas Tech, the defense will keep you in games. They'll give you a chance to make a comeback, but eventually, you just got to make buckets, and we're not very good at that right now.
2: I mean, when you have trouble scoring against Tulsa, you're probably going to have trouble against anybody in day twelve. The,
0: probably so. probably that's a that's a fair statement. Yeah.
2: But Levi, you know how how high now are the expectations for Iowa State? I mean, are you just thinking you could challenge Kansas at this point? Yeah.
1: So I guess kind of paint the picture. I guess the beginning of the season, we're all saying we're going to make the tournament. Just might be, you know, in the like a ten seat or something yeah. like that. Just kind of yeah. seeing, and that obviously that largely depended on how everything shook out. But and then so then as soon as we find out, as soon as uh, Linda Wigginson goes down for you know, a month and a half or whatever, it ended up being two months. That we we were concerned because you didn't have because you know, Solomon Young went oh. down with a groin injury and then you have that and you have Cam Lard and Zeran Talley both missed the first five games of the season so we're like yeah. I mean, it's good because you get all, all the freshmen got a ton of playing time, that, right. and that's probably one of the big reasons that the team is so ahead of schedule is those injuries. Because now those four freshmen got a ton of playing time when those guys were out and got a chance to really get up to speed with the college game, and they played some decent opponents. I mean, they played Arizona, San Diego State, yeah. Illinois—not like super great, but oh. then you know, power five competition, so it's not. I don't know how good script.
2: Illinois is. Let's be careful there.
1: Yeah, it's fair, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just not not some scrub SoCon team or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it's right. they're they're decent teams, but yeah. it with wasn't it wasn't good, a
2: Texas with, Tech schedule.
1: So. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you got lots of guys with good. So then, there for a while, we're like, eh, I don't know, we'll see what happens. And then they play really well in Maui. They come back, they play pretty well for another stretch there, and then we lose to Iowa. I'm like, eh, this isn't great. But if we had Wigginton and Young, that game is probably completely different. Now we're Feeling pretty good. I think now that we got that win over now we got one over Kansas, in, I'm not going to say exposed Kansas, but yeah. definitely exposed a lot of their flaws. Anyways, right. where they have a lot of trouble scoring outside the paint, especially from beyond three point line, they have a lot of trouble, and they don't because it just Gerald Vick is their only legit three point threat, and he's really streaky. Right. So any team that can shoot from outside is going to have a, a pretty an okay chance against Kansas as long as they can just kind of. Tread water inside. That's not uh, when, good especially good when a dog is back. That's not
2: good news for Kansas State. <clears throat> so we're screwed. In <laughs>
1: other words. <laughs> so I guess right now, after notching that over Kansas and got a road win at Oklahoma State, which any, any road game in the Big Twelve doesn't matter who it is whether it's Kansas or whether it's Baylor or Oklahoma State or whoever, a road win in the Big Twelve is, I mean that's a big that's a good win no matter what. It's you know as, as Steve Frome classified he said you take care of business at home and any road wins are cherries on top and that's. Right. Yeah, you know, Iowa State got a cherry on top at the beginning against an Oklahoma State team that's not great, but they're plucky enough. They're a lot like Iowa State last year, where they're like they're not going to win a ton of games, but they're going to scare the shit out of just about everybody they played, or they're going to they're going to make it interesting for sure because they got that, like that Weathers kid. He's he's good. So they're maybe better than the records going to end up indicating. So you got that. You got the win over Kansas, and you come. We have Oklahoma this week. You guys on Saturday, and then we'll have Tech. Then we'll have Texas Tech. Like a week, a week and a half from now. So there's a big, nice stretch coming up that I think if they can take care of business at home and you know, if if they drop one on the road to the Tech in Oklahoma, worse things have happened. As long as they take care of business at home, pick up the road wins when you can. I think they're gonna they're gonna have a shot, especially because Kansas is gonna be vulnerable. They're gonna lose. I think they'll, they'll lose more games than they normally would this year. And and they'll have a shot. Oklahoma looks good. Tech looks good. We'll see, but Tech sometimes has problems scoring, and Oklahoma yeah, no. is still kind of working their way up. They look okay. Fortunately, right now, Iowa State has the first team in probably, you know, since mm-hmm. the Bush administration that can actually play defense, <laughs> so that'll that'll help us on the road now. That'll help us pick up some of those extra road wins that maybe we weren't going to, we weren't even able to get when we had George Niang and Monte Morris and all these great players, because sometimes shooting doesn't always travel, but defense does.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the things I noticed, and Luke, tell me if you saw the same thing, but that Iowa State-KU game, KU didn't look as sharp defensively as they no. normally have in the past. So I think, in my opinion, that played in a little bit into that Iowa State win as well.
2: Yeah, and that's something you got to wonder a little bit, how much of that is, is with Azabuke out. You know, it kind of changes it to, when you have a guy like that in the middle. But, yeah, I, th- I think even on the perimeter, they, they were not very
1: solid. Well, and I I would say, too, that the fact that Iowa State was playing – I mean, we basically run four guards all the time. Right. That playing small – if you have a team that is good at playing small, that's Kansas's kryptonite right now because they have to play – like, they're the best when they can play really big with Doak and and, uh, whatever the other guy's name is, down low. When they can play with both of those guys down low and play really big, that's when Kansas is at their biggest advantage. Iowa State being able to play four guards – you know, they have one through four or anywhere between six-four and six-eight. And then you got you know Michael Jacobson or Cam Lard, whoever filling that fifth spot.
2: Yeah. And
1: they're all versatile. They can all switch on in just about anybody. You know, the shortest guy is Taylor Horton Tucker at six four, six five, but he's got a seven foot one wingspan. So yeah. he can be versatile. He weighs two hundred and forty pounds. I mean the dude's a tank. Yeah. So he can guard the four. So I think the versatility, especially in the switchability on Iowa State's defense, was part was part of the reason that you can do that. And then it also basically it pulls all of their bigs away from the bucket. So they weren't able to really try to contest at the rim. Even I I, we won by 17 points. I'm not convinced yeah. that that having Doke there would have made sure. all the difference because sure. he still got to get he was still going to get pulled away from the bucket. He, you know, having to guard t- yeah. Taylor Horton Tucker out of the three point line is not how you, you know, that's not where yeah. where Doke can be his best.
2: And the other end, I mean, you still committed 20, 24 turnovers too. Like you, like you said, it was a defense helped out a lot as mm-hmm. well. But um, you know, the, it'll be interesting to see that the way our State spreads it out, Kansas State's defense, you know, one of their strengths, I, I think, is. The ability to help out, and you know the way that they can switch. There's a lot of versatility yep. there. So, you know, Eric, how much of a challenge will it be with that extra spacing that Iowa State has to defend that and and not give up open lanes to the basket?
0: Well, that that's really going to be the key is uh, is giving up those lanes. And frankly, I, you know, with Dean Wade out, one of the things that really popped in my head is I think we're a better basketball team when we play a four-one setup as well. So it, it's one of those things. I don't think when we come around to playing Iowa State the first time, it doesn't. I don't think Dean Wade's going to be back yet. So we're going to be playing that one-four uh, setup right back against them. I think we'll be able to hold our own in that particular case. But uh, as you note, if we in the second in the in the rematch, in the second game later in the season, we get Dean Wade back and we actually go back to our two big free guard setup uh, you're going to see a little bit more of a problem being able to guard on the perimeter like that
2: yeah and then I mean the other thing is you know I would say it started the game with six missed threes and the announcers were talking oh this isn't a great Iowa State shooting team which is kind of weird to hear but then they just started shooting the lights out Halliburton and and Shayok especially you know is is that something that I mean obviously they're going to be really tough to defend when that happens but uh, you know, Levi, how rare was that for them to to get out like
1: that? I mean, to go come out quite that hot in the second half was it was. I mean, they shot seventy percent from three in the second half. I mean, that's that's rare for literally anybody. That's yeah, rare. That's yes. rare for Villanova. I mean, it's it's pretty rare. I mean, they shoot. You know, right now on on the season, they're shooting thirty six point one percent, which is good, not great. Um, mm. So, I mean, they're. The the nice thing about this Iowa State team is that it's not going to have to rely on three-point shooting because you have so many versatile scorers that can really fill it up. I mean, Iowa State's sitting at 23rd in the country in two-point percentage at
2: 56.7%. You have
1: lots and lots of guys that can finish at the rim. You have a couple big guys that are really, really efficient. I remember, I don't know if he still is anymore after the Kansas game, but I know going into that, Michael Jacobson on on Synergy Sports is listed as the most efficient player in college basketball.
2: Yeah, Uh, it was he was really quiet yesterday, actually, and he averages 15 a game. Yeah, I
1: think that part they had to do with this matchup, I think, and they were really—he's got a really, really big guy down there. That's a pretty good versatile defender. So, in part of that too, is they weren't really playing into Jacobson as much as we had been in previous games because of that matchup, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's part of it. But he's yeah. He scores like the quietest 15 points you'll ever see after maybe Mario Shayok. Mario Shayok just shows up with 20 points, and I don't really know how he does it because it, it doesn't ever seem like he scores that many points and just, there's 20. Kind of like George Niang, actually. Yeah. A lot like George, where George would just, like, he just, you can't keep playing, he does his thing, and then all of a sudden you look at the board and he's got 24 points. So it's it's a lot like that. Michael Jacobson's not, you know, he's not George Niang. He's, you know, not even quite as good a scorer as Mario Shayok is. But he's quiet and he's very efficient. Yeah. So if he gets a, if there's a favorable matchup, Iowa State will they'll try to get that because he can hit the three. They'll switch him out a lot of times. They'll do pick and pops with him, especially because guys like Tyrese Halliburton and Nick Weiler-Babb are really good uh, as pick and roll initiators and and driving to the hoop. They're very very good. Linda Wigginson obviously is very good. Yeah. So you have to kind of. You have to help because when, when Michael Jacobson is in, you have, they basically have five shooters on the floor. They can have five shooters on the floor at all times unless Cam Lard is on the floor. Yeah. Otherwise, basically anybody can hit a three. Taylor Horton Tucker hasn't been hitting his threes at a particularly high rate this year, but he's good enough at them where you have to guard him.
0: Yeah. I'm really interested to where try to figure out where this trope came from that Iowa State's not good at shooting a three because while, while it is including the, the stats from the game against KU on Saturday – I'm sitting here looking at a team that's shooting 36% as a team from behind the arc and has right. four guys that are over 38% uh-huh. uh, right. individually. It's like yeah. no, they're shooters. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's mainly because they we're you like people are used to seeing from like they got used to, to Iowa State. they used to seeing George and Matt Thomas who yeah. knocked down 48% of his threes, you know, <laughs> yeah. seeing seeing guys like Naz Long that shot 49% from three. Yeah. They we got used to seeing from Iowa State like not just good shooters, but like elite shooters, like you know best in the conference shooters. Right. And now we have like, we just have lots of good shooters. So they're not like individually. They're not going to, none of them are going to blow your mind or anything. I mean, yeah. Linda Wiginton shot 44% or something like that, or 42% from three last year, but he's still kind of coming back. Yeah. So he shot a good number. Nick Wilde sitting at 42%, which is a good number. Michael Jacobson's at 40%. So you have a couple guys there, like most of them at what well, Damn, Tyrese is sitting at 48%. Okay, I didn't <laughs> thought it was that high. Um. But yeah, there's lots of good shooters, and uh, apparently uh, San's Tyrese Halliburton, not, not nothing, nobody that's gonna like blow your mind or anything like that. So that's probably why they're that stigmatized because we're not we're used to seeing Iowa State have like individually like elite shooters. Yeah,
2: and I think uh, another thing that was interesting, Iowa State was pretty deadly from the mid range yesterday as well. I think Sony made a yep. joke that Hoiberg uh, would not have been super happy with that, but you know, is that something that <laughs> they've done all year?
1: Oh yeah, that I mean that's and that's something that that Steve Prohm has had a little bit more flexibility on than Fred is that if they got an open shot in the mid range, they'll let him take it. Michael Jacobson's been very good in the mid-range. Nick Waller Babb is a good mid-range shooter. Mario Shayak can do it as well. Taylor Hart Tucker can do it. He gets a little bit he's still Taylor Hart Tucker's still stuck a little bit in his AAU ball mode where he's kind of taking step backs and stuff like that, which he's he'll work his way out of that. But so but he can definitely hit the mid range. Yeah. This group of Cyclones is very versatile. They can score from just about anywhere. And and now that Steve From has kind of loosened the leash a little bit on as far as, far as uh, mid-range shots go, you know, it's a little bit more versatile, too. Yeah,
2: And Eric, I mean, that's something we were talking about a little bit before the podcast, is it, it would be <laughs> nice to see some of KSA's players, Xavier Sneed in particular, take more mid-range and fewer threes, right?
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things about Xavier Snead that kind of, that bugged me a little bit in this last Texas Tech game is just, He's he's arguably our best three-point shooter, but he's so athletically gifted that offensively, I don't know if it's scheme or if he's limiting himself just by the way he wants to play in the offense. But he's kind of turned into this one-trick pony of all he wants to do is shoot threes. And he has a lot of opportunities to, to really attack the basket, even if it's not all the, getting all the way to the rim, getting into, into 12 and 15 feet for a little pull-up or something like that. And frankly, that was where we saw him be successful offensively against Texas Tech. And still, just even waiting in the game, chucking just hoisting up threes left and right. And across the board, not just Xavier Snead, but across the board, our shooters are so streaky. Yeah. That I mean, we weren't even close for most of the game. It's, it's <laughs> not like we were just off and they're rimming out and that sort of thing. I don't think Cartier Jar got the ball over the front of the rim from the three point line. Yeah. It, so, uh, and strangely enough, we actually had a lot of success when we started attacking the basket and putting their post defense in a place where they were out of position. So it's it's really kind of uh, it, it's disappointing to see how reliant we are on the three point shot. When we've got the athletes to to be able to, to to bring the bring the game into twelve to fifteen feet and really have a lot of success.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think you know I I don't know Levi, you can talk about this, but I feel like that that's an area where they could have some success against Iowa State. You know, if Cam Lard's in there, he's trying to swat every shot at the upper deck. But you know, especially when he's not in, um, it, it seems like there's some opportunities to get inside and get some of those looks
1: uh yeah michael jacobson uh, down low he's an okay defender not gonna blow your mind he's not a rim protector or anything like that he'll play good solid you know he'll play good solid defense but he's not gonna be he's not a rim protector like when cam lard's in the game like you said you're you're pulling a shooter off the floor so now you can't play a true you couldn't like if you really wanted to with michael jacobson you could play a five out lineup and you can always at the the very minimum you can pick and pop him cam lard you lose an outside shooter but his Cam has been an interesting story this season because he missed the first five games, had some mm-hmm. issues last year with some bad habits and some attitude issues and stuff like that, and now he's come back this year, and he uh, was he had some of the similar issues. He was playing, like, five or six minutes a game by getting four fouls. Like, he was averaging, mm-hmm. like, a foul every two and a half, like, every two minutes and four seconds or something like that, something crazy. Yeah. But then he came back, but he was, he was good at showing lots of energy, and it was just wasn't being funneled correctly. And I think... Yeah. You saw in the KU game, I think you guys watched a little bit of that too. Right. That yeah. that was the type of Cam Lard that we're looking forward to seeing for the rest of the season, where he is flying all over the place. He's yeah. playing with crazy energy. <laughs> he's blocked, he's trying to swat everything into the sixth row of the stands. Yeah. He's got great energy when he can get a dunk. When if you ever get to watch Cam Lard dunk, or wherever he comes down, he like he'll start flexing his muscles and yelling. You know, like that dude <laughs> plays with so much passion, it's insane.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, he's fun to watch because I mean, you know, the blocks yes. are nice, but even when he it's almost more fun when he doesn't block a shot. I don't doesn't. know. It, th-
1: this weird fad that he's been doing this year, too, is he's been throwing behind-the-back passes all over the place. Some of his <laughs> passes have been insane this year. Like, I don't know where they <laughs> came from, but he's all of a sudden he's a good passer now, too. So yeah. We're excited to see where he—I I would doubt he'll end up in the starting rotation at any point this year just because of how good Michael Jacobson has been, uh-huh. especially on the offensive end. But Cam Lardes will have a good chance. He'll earn like, plenty, plenty of playing time, especially if he keeps playing with good energy and, and staying out of foul trouble like he did against Kansas. Yeah.
2: And speaking of the starting lineup, so it seems like, and you guys are, and maybe kind of a similar situation to what we saw with TCU when Jalen Fisher went down, is you, know, you guys have Halliburton step in, has been really, really good, but obviously, you know, Wigginton's a really good guard as well. How do you expect that to play out? You know, do you, you want to see them, can you put them on the floor at the same time, or do you have to pick one or the other as a starter?
1: Oh, uh, you know, because... Right now, the starting lineups, Halliburton, Beck, Nick weller Michael yes. Jacobson, Taylor Horton-Tucker, and Mario Shayok. That's kind of what they've been going with right now. Because right. Lindell missed like six weeks. I mean, he missed right. a lot of games. He missed ten games. That's a long time to miss, not, to not be playing basketball. So he's still – you can see he hit a couple threes against Kansas. He's starting to get back in his rhythm. And I think one thing that he's done yeah. that maybe would not have happened last year that he's done a good job of this year so far is he has really embraced the idea of becoming a team-first guy. I think last year he came in, he was a highly touted recruit, you know, if he played particularly well, you know, and potentially could have been a one and done guy, he obviously didn't end up doing that or whatever, but he was, <laughs> I'm not going to at all say that he was like a you know a me first kind of guy, but, you know, young, highly touted guys that have been told, you know, their whole lives that they're, you know, they're the best, like they're always the best on the team and stuff like that. Sometimes you have, it takes a little bit of adjustment to get to how the college game works, and I think now he's he's grown up. He's matured quite a bit, so I think he's okay right now. If he doesn't start games, I think he's, he's fine with that, and I think he understands, too, that it wouldn't surprise me at all if eventually, when he works his way back into the starting lineup, if Taylor Horton Tucker is the, is the one that ends up making way for him, but it just... Kind of depends on what the it'll, it'll honestly probably depend on matchups and stuff like that too, and I guess going off that too is I've always been a believer that it doesn't really matter who starts the game so much yeah. as who plays the more most minutes and who finishes the game. I mean, he could run out, you know, all five of our walk. He could run out all of our walk-ons to start the game and take him out a minute in. And it probably wouldn't make any difference. So, Lindell still play, still get plenty of minutes going forward. He'll get and you know, they'll start building up as he gets more more and more comfortable, gets a back up to speed into game shape. Uh, you can see his shot starting to come around. The thing I, that I think he does understand, though, too, is that Tyrese Halliburton has been... He's such an interesting case this season because yeah. he's playing like 39 minutes a game he's playing like basically the entire game most of the time yeah but if you look on like kem Palm, he's less than 12 percent. that he has in in the nearly invisible category huh. which is interesting because if you watch tyrese halliburton play basketball he is anything but invisible right. you, he is all <laughs> over the place all the time doing everything he's sitting in like fifth in the country in, in offensive efficiency rating he's shooting 48 from the guy's been a revelation yeah i mean they, i mean the Calling him a six-five Monte Morris is not at all an exaggeration. Yeah, He's yeah. a better shooter right now than Monte was. He's a better player right now than Monte was. I mean, I think, I
2: think we also. got to see Fran for show fall in love with
1: Halper. <laughs> <day. laughs> he was gushing that whole yeah. night. That was, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a good time listening to him. He was all sorts of happy with Tyrese. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, so I think. Just with how quickly he's come around, the kind of player he's turned into, not just as an offensive as a scorer and a distributor, but on the defensive end too. I think Lindell understands that, that you can like you can't take him out of the lineup. So you just gotta Lindell's gonna have to play his way back in the lineup just like any other person would. Yeah. I would doubt that Ted Reese is the one that makes way for Lindell. Yeah.
2: And so Eric, I mean going off of that, you know, we saw yesterday how effective Barry Brown was in, in shutting down Jarrett Culver, completely throwing him off his game. Now, would you expect that he's going to be the guy guarding Halliburton could make a big difference there?
0: Right now, I would say that's the case. The most likely scenario for Barry to guard. You know, what really impresses me about Barry is, is he is the one particular individual that defensively he just brings it every single night and he really takes it upon himself to shut down that other the team's best player on the other side and you know as with the exception of uh, ku and uh Azubuki in the middle i think that our conference for the most part is really predicated on having really high quality guard play and uh, and having that that stopper out there on the on the perimeter is certainly helpful and he's such a good anticipatory defender as well that even when his his mark doesn't have the ball he's out there and able to pick off passes and and that sort of thing so you know again other than late in the Texas game defense is not the issue with with our team It's yeah. just it's making mm-hmm. sure that if we continue to have poor offensive night it doesn't start to trickle over into the defensive tenacity
2: yeah i think the referees have been the only guys to stop from playing good defense this year
0: I'll tell you what, talking about referees, I want to touch on this really quickly for a second. So watching that Texas Tech-K-State game on Saturday, and I made this comment on Twitter during the game, when that official got hurt early yeah. in the second half and they had to go to two refs, I actually think the officiating was better, more consistent, and more traditionally what, the way we think a game should be called than I've seen this entire season. I actually think that having a third official out there causes more problems from a consistency standpoint than just going back to the old days of having two refs out there. Interesting.
2: I don't don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately.
0: One thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned before
1: about Barry Brown and his matchup, I would guess that he doesn't actually guard Halliburton. My guess is he'll probably take Mariel Shayok. Since oh, he's uh yeah, he's kind of the big yeah. usage guy he's he's right, the right. probably the most the most gifted well, how, like he's the guy, is, he's leading the big twelve in scoring how right tall now. is
2: Shaq is he is I would he I does? would
1: guess he'll probably yeah he's tall, he's six six he's okay, kind of a lanky six okay. six yeah, but he's six six yeah. my I mean Barry Brown would be would be able to match up physically with him yeah I wouldn't think yeah. that would be an issue I would okay. guess that mm. would probably be the because like I said Tyrese is like I said he's in a nearly invisible category in Ken Palm right. um, he doesn't right. take very many yeah. shots He doesn't take a ton of shots and he doesn't you know he doesn't turn the ball over much. So my guess is that, I mean, you guys can kind of – I mean, I, I would think that Barry Brown would probably end up guarding Shayok. Yeah,
0: that could
1: be. Um, while he's in there, since he's he's kind of the main scoring guy, I should say.
0: Right. Yeah, and honestly, that's part of maybe a little bit of ignorance on my part. I haven't watched a whole lot of Iowa State Oh, yeah, this year. no,
1: it's, it's easy. And it was easy if you only watched the the KU game. Yeah, that I would understand how you would say, like, oh, <laughs> Halliburton is going to draw the main defensive sign, but it'll probably be Mario Shayok, I would guess. Okay.
2: okay. Yeah, I just – I wasn't sure, you know what I mean – like, Physically wise, stature wise, Sneed would be more of a matchup. But yeah, I mean you're probably right. That they probably want to put well, Perry the, on the game. And, guy and the thing too is like, that like
1: Taylor Horton yeah. Tucker is six four and he's the shortest guy on the team. Yeah. Well besides yeah. I said, sorry, besides Lindell Wiggington. Lindell's six six two. But otherwise I mean Shayok's six six six, Halburn's six five, Wilder is six five. I mean the whole lineup is six five to six seven ish. And then you got yeah. Jacobson, Tally, and George Condit that are obviously big guys. So my guess is that probably wouldn't be a huge factor because yeah. Barry Brown's yeah. obviously a very good on yeah. defense. He can guard pretty much anybody. Right. I, I mean, he's probably not going to. He's probably not going to guard Michael Jacobson or Cam Lard, but no, <laughs> no, any, <laughs> any, anybody else, I would guess. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, and so another thing you know I want to talk about. Uh, obviously, you know, Air State did a pretty good job of speeding up KU, forcing the servers I assume that that's what they want to try to do with Kansas State. Obviously, Bruce does not like playing fast, even though sometimes I think K-State would be better off if they did, but uh, I mean, you guys expect that to, to be a key, kind of the pace of the game?
0: I think the pace of the game is always going to be a concern for us. Um, I agree with you. I think we'd be better if we played fast as opposed to what we're doing, and I don't think Bruce wants us to play slow. I think Bruce wants us to play methodical, Yeah. and there is definitely a difference between those two. Unfortunately, it, Really, more comes along the lines of playing slow and not necessarily playing methodical. Playing methodical, in theory, would have a little bit more success rate, especially on the <laughs> offensive end. So, I, I think pace is always going to be a thing. And I, but at the same time, I also think that K-State plays just an aggressive enough defense that it forces the other team to play a lot in the half in the half court set, and it's going to naturally slow the game down. So, you know, I think. Any game against K-State, regardless of who the opponent is, I think it would be rare for the game really to be played at the tempo that the other team wants to play at.
2: And so, Levi, how do you think Iowa State will handle
1: that then?
0: You know, obviously in the past, especially under Fred Hoiberg,
1: the team has prided itself on being really highly efficient in transition and really getting out and running the ball. Now, under Steve Prohm, the offense has slowed down a little bit. It's still quicker than most uh, you're sitting at 89th in the country right now in offensive tempo. It's second in the Big 12 after Oklahoma as far as fastest offense goes. Um, but the nice thing about this team, I think, is they're they're comfortable. If they need to play slow, they'll play slow. The Kansas game, the, the beginning of the Kansas game was lots and lots of transition and stuff like that, obviously. But there were sections of that where it really got methodical and stuff like that, and Iowa State was still able to be efficient. Arizona plays similar to that, too, where they don't run a ton. And they were still able to be pretty successful against those guys, I think, Iowa State will try to run. I don't know if they'll be as successful as maybe they would like to be as in running. But I think mm-hmm. if, even if the game gets bogged down a little bit, with K- and K states are really slowing down possessions, I think Iowa State should be able, should be okay still. I think they'll they, obviously they're they've been knocking down threes at a, at a good rate. They've been knocking down twos at a really good really good clip, like fifty six percent. I think they'll still be they'll be okay. I think they prefer to run, but if if they gets bogged down into a half court game, I think they can still I think they'll still be okay. Yeah.
2: And Eric, just going back real quick to you know the difference between slow and methodical you talked about it and I, I hate to use Virginia as a good example because watching them is awful, but their their offense would be more trending towards the methodical right with the efficiency that they have
0: uh, uh, absolutely. you know virginia is an an excellent example of being able to play a a slow methodical game but not just taking the air out of the ball if you will. You know, another one that immediately comes to mind, and I I just cringe (laughs) having this word come out of my mouth, is Wisconsin. Oh, god! Traditionally, Um, you know, and it's and it it really has less to do with the pure pace of the game and more of the efficiency that you have there. You know, we can talk about the pace of the game and the number of possessions and that sort of thing, and you can be successful with that, like a Virginia or a a Wisconsin, if you're actually if you've got a high level of efficiency, if you're shooting the ball well in those fewer possession games and you know when uh you look at k-state's average for the season is uh we're shooting 42 percent from the floor that's just that's not good enough to play slow games yeah. um i i would actually say that because we don't have great shooters playing faster would make up for it
2: yeah yeah I could see that. well speaking of virginia that gives me a good transition uh You know, Levi, my dream is actually that Virginia players will look at what Shayoff's been able to do since he transferred from Virginia and say, wow, wow, look what he's doing since he got into a more up-tempo offense and everyone will want to leave Virginia. Uh, <laughs> I don't That's know. A, it, it's an
1: interesting thing because maybe maybe Shayok is the guy that broke the floodgate. Is that every all the Virginia people that are sitting <laughs> on the bench because they can't play good enough D and they're too good at, they're too good at offense? Maybe uh-huh. they'll be like, hey, you know what? Yeah. The Big Twelve's kind of fun. That's my dream. That's my dream.
2: But <laughs> on, on that note, you know, I would say it obviously has has always been very successful with transfers. But as we've talked about, they've got some really good freshmen too. You know, is that something that you expect from to, to get more and more freshmen or does he always want to have the, the transfer pipeline open? or? Is he kind of about uh, it,
1: the tra- Especially, well, there's a whole, there's a really interesting, that's like almost a whole nother podcast yeah, yeah. Is, as far as the whole transfer market and stuff like that. Because Fred Hoiberg, as far as basketball goes, Fred Hoiberg really opened up, and actually you, you could really argue across college sports, is that he was the one that opened up the grand transfer, really opened up the new culture of transfers that we have. Fred was the one that opened that up. There's a pretty good argument, even not just basketball, but football too now, where you have all these grad transfers, Kelly Bryant and stuff like that. Steve Frome has taken transfers when there's spots that need to be filled, like he did last year when you had... So many. You had so much turnover. You yeah, lose, yeah. you lose Monte Morris and Nas Long and Matt Thomas and Deontay Burton and a bunch and Daryl Bowie and stuff like that. You lose a whole bunch of people. So he'll take transfers to fill gas, but he's trying to really, he's really trying to recruit freshmen well and and really trying to balance this out and make it more of a traditional type roster, which is something that Fred Oberg, the high school recruits he did pull in were were generally pretty good or very good in the case of George and Monte and Matt and Naz. but. The transfers were obviously a huge part of his story as well. Whereas with Steve Frome, the transfers have been good adder pieces, but haven't really. None of none of them have been like the alpha dog up to this point. Where it's like that's he's the leader of the team and he's transferred. Shayok is probably the first case yeah. that we've had where he's really been like as uh, an undersea pro, anyways, uh, where he's like the alpha dog. Right. And there's plenty of cases we made that he's not necessarily that guy. I mean, yet when Fred was here, you had DeAndre Kane, who obviously yeah. he was the dude yeah. on that team, yeah. haven't yeah. really had that undersea problem. I think because one of the one of the big shortfalls with Fred when he left, as good of a coach as he was, and he pulled in lots of good recruits and transfers, is one thing is he, let, he had a problem. Those transfers created really unbalanced classes. So you had like almost no turnover one year, then you'd have a huge turnover the next year. So that was one of the things that kind of came to a head last season, as where Steve Prom has had to fill gaps and he's had to try to balance these classes out. So you're not trying to recruit four new freshmen every year and ref- basically replace a third of your team some years, and, and replace basically nobody another year. So that was kind of what it came to a head last season. So now he's got those big fresh he's got this big freshman class now, but he's done a pretty good job of trying to even these things out to make sure that he's not replacing a ton so I would say going forward you're not going to see as many transfers maybe as you're used to seeing Iowa State take still take them as needed when spots need to be filled or when there's an exceptionally talented player that comes up that just fits they'll still go after those guys I would doubt you'll see where like you did early in Fred's where you got like an entire squad you have mm-hmm. you have an entire starting five of transfers sitting off to the side I don't think you'll see that anymore
2: and then the other thing, with uh, Shayok and, and Wiginton, and there's been some other guys, you guys have a pretty nice Canadian connection going on.
1: Yes, we do. Yeah, and it's a, it's, in, it's in men's and women's basketball, too, because, yeah. well, obviously, men, you got Naz, you got Mariel Shayok, and then over on the women's side, you got Bridget Carlton, that's actually on the Canadian national team, too. Uh-huh. She's She scored, because actually, on Saturday, too, the Iowa State women beat Kansas at Kansas, basically at the okay. same time the men were playing, and she scored mm-hmm. 33 points. She's wow. an extremely good player. Canada's been pretty good to Iowa State so far. I think and they're finding a second home here too I really think. I mean, yeah. you got Lindell and Naz and Mariel. yeah. I mean, there's a nice connection there and I think and, and Melvin Edgem too. He was from yeah. Toronto. I think they're yeah, you know, there's lots of the, the Canadian pipeline is getting more and more uh talented every year. I mean, there's tons and tons of good players coming out of Canada every year now. Yeah. So I think you'll see more players of those guys <laughs> end up not just in college as, as even as one and dones but in the NBA. Yeah. And I think obviously we'll continue to pull guys from there. Just because of that nice pipeline there,
2: yeah. Maybe Bruce should start looking up north a little bit. It's,
0: there, right? <laughs> it's a good. Uh, that's a good question because uh, there, there's that, and then you've got that Italian kid that plays down there for uh, Texas oh, Tech. Yeah. Oh he's, yeah, that, that was crazy. That, uh, he's he's not a bad basketball player. So yeah. yeah, there's places outside of the U.S. to go find basketball players.
2: Yeah. And so then uh, you know, with Steve Prome obviously, I'm sure Iowa State fans are really happy with what he's done so far and what he's doing, but. You know, you guys were very familiar with this, but, you know, I would say it's the kind of place where you always maybe have the worry about coach looking for greener pastures. You know, how much of a concern is that We we'll see. I mean, I assume you guys are rooting for continued success for Avery Johnston, Alabama, since that's... Uh, that's so
1: I mean, Iowa State's in a pretty much objectively a better program than Alabama is. Right. It's right. in a better conference. It's more. There's more money involved. It's a better stadium. Better. It's, you know. it's still alma mater, though. I, Iowa Uh-oh. State. Iowa State. It is his alma mater. I, I'm not as worried about that. Okay. I mean, gen- the nice thing for Iowa State, in contrast to football, where you we know, don't for a long time we were were the stepping stone job and basketball is, is a very different case because I would say Fred helped it a lot mm-hmm. I mean I would say general over its history has had is a generally a pretty good basketball program and then obviously it was dormant for a little while and then Fred brought it back and now we're here Iowa State is a very good job right now That is I mean you have Hilton Coliseum which mm-hmm. Fran ranks up basically mm-hmm. he ranks fog Allen 1a and I was and Hilton Coliseum 1b as far as like the best arenas in college basketball it's a great fan base we put a lot have that great stadium there's a lot of good success there there's an established kind of a culture like we like to we like to play offense we like to put points on the board which is a fun it's a fun way to play good coaches great people i always say it's a very good job it's not duke or north carolina or even like ucla but it's that next tier Right. Like it, it's not, it's not in the blue bloods category. It's it's maybe not in the next fringe category where you have seed programs like like Villanova and stuff like that, where like a fringe blue blood at this point. But it's in that next category where it's it's a really good job, and it, it it's not like a like Steve Prohm's not going to balance for Alabama or anything right. like that. He's right. not nearly as worried about that in basketball, where you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, if Duke came open and they were interested in Steve Prohm, <laughs> sure, I'd probably yeah. be a little bit worried. Yeah. But you know. I wouldn't see. I mean, it would take a blue blood to peel him away. And yeah. even then, I'm not sure he would.
2: Yeah. yeah. by the way, kudos to Iowa State fans for showing up in, in San Antonio. I mean, I think you guys had the biggest bowl crowd there, and it certainly wasn't because of Washington State fans. <laughs> that
1: was a good time. San Antonio was a good time. I think the last estimate I saw is there was about 35,000 Cyclones fans down there in South Texas. So yeah. it was a good time. They sold the second most, where was it, the – can't remember because it was the second. They sold the second most packages of any school outside of Notre Dame, wow. and they sold the most bowl packages of any non-New Year's Six bowl in history. Wow! And it was the highest rate that like the Alamo Bowl ratings were up twenty something percent from last year. So mm-hmm. I mean, Iowa State fans showed up. Yeah. Not not only did they show up in San Antonio, but they watched on TV. I mean, everybody watched that game. Yeah. It was, I mean, as far as the showcase for Iowa State as, as a traveling fan base, stuff like yeah. that, I mean, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have asked for anything better than that. And that's exactly why we got the nod over West Virginia. Yeah. There's a good argument for West Virginia. I mean, we technically finished ahead of them, but, you know, the Bull <laughs> can take whoever they want. But. I mean, we knew that we would travel well, and I think we even exceeded the expectations. I think as far as how well we travel, and that's gonna, that's only gonna be good things for us in the future as far as getting better and better bowl bids. I think that'll be really good. Mm-hmm. You know, San Antonio was a good time. If we we're so fortunate next football season to be up and to be able to get into the Sugar Bowl, I think uh, <laughs> Iowa State fans down in New Orleans would have a, probably a pretty good time. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Well, so before we let you go, while we're on the subject of football, and I'm a little bit afraid to ask, but K-State just hired a, a former Iowa State offensive coordinator, Courtney Messingham. So what what, what can you tell us about that guy?
1: So before he even said his name, should have been the first red flag. A former Iowa State offensive <laughs> coordinator. That should have been the first red flag. So <laughs> people can change. People can get better. It depends on who you're with, what kind of personnel you got, all of that. When he was at Iowa State, Courtney Messingham, was the butt of every joke. He was a very, very bad offensive coordinator. He's like the kind of guy that would throw a bubble screen on third and eight. And it's like, just that kind of guy. So if you guys like bubble screens, I hope you guys are hope you guys are ready for that. Now, I like I said, he was with North Dakota State, which is a completely different program. I mean, they kind of just I mean they're they're the K State of the FCS basically. I mean they're they're Alabama success but K State style basically. So they're a very very good program, but they run you know they don't run a traditional Big Twelve offense. So maybe that's maybe Corner Messingham has found his groove as far as that goes. Maybe he's more comfortable calling plays in in the kind of system that Kleiman wants to run. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I know he was bad for us, but he might be good for you guys.
2: Okay. Well, I hope so. <laughs>
1: that's that's the, most, that's the most that's the most positive spin I can give you. No,
2: I appreciate that. I appreciate
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, genuinely though, I think you guys found a good guy there. I think that's a good fit for the Kansas State football program. I think it's a good fit. We'll see what recruiting looks like because I mean, I mean, obviously Bill Snyder didn't recruit particularly well, but made, but made that's an
2: understatement. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah, but made good, but made good with what he had, obviously, yeah. and pulled a good transfer. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what the what the recruiting looks like and what the player development looks like with him. If there's a chance that he basically picks up where Bill Snyder left mm-hmm. off, and you know, K State continues to be a a pretty you know market down for seven win football team, you know, or you know market down for seven or eight, and then you maybe you get nine or ten or he, here and there, yeah. you might be able to con- continue to run on that, but we'll see. It's a new era for K State football, but I think you guys got a good I think you guys got a good good guy in Chris Climate. Yeah, yeah, we hope so.
2: Well, I, I guess I think that's about it. You want to make a prediction for Saturday's game for us?
1: Um, I think it being in Hilton is going to be a a big help. Yeah, obviously, as as it typically is. Like I said, defense always travels, but the nice thing is that I, that offense is typically a lot more efficient at home. And Hilton is a really hard place to play, and especially like you saw, like Kansas had trouble knocking down buckets uh, from the outside, and and Kansas State has had. Some difficulties with that this season as well, and with the rate that Iowa State forces turnovers and forces bad shots, and actually now that Cam's got his head on head on straight and protecting the rim, suddenly Iowa State is a decent defensive ball club now, and uh, it's a welcome sight to see. That'll keep them in a lot of games, even when the scoring droughts happen, like they did against KU, where sometimes it's just the, ball, the balls just not going in the bucket, and the, but the defense is good enough to force turnovers and, and keep everything close and prevent any any big. Big scoring runs. So, that being said, I think Iowa State's got a good shot because right now, Ken Palm has it sitting at like a 79% chance for Iowa State. He has a 69 60 win. I'm probably a little bit more offensive predicted that. I would say it's something along the lines, of like a 76 66, something like that. It's probably where I would put it. In favor of my home team.
2: Okay, well, what do you think, Eric? I mean, K-State hasn't scored 60 since before Christmas. (laughs) I don't think we...
0: I'd be hard-pressed to be convinced that we've scored 60 combined since Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't necessarily disagree with the assessment there. I think that the game being in Ames is certainly going to be a boon for Iowa State. I do think it's gonna we're gonna defensively going to hold uh, Iowa State uh, much below their 80, 82 scoring average right now. Uh, I'm along the lines of what Ken Palm is showing, a game in the upper 60s, maybe touching 70 for Iowa State, but K-State, the only chance they have to win that game is honestly if they get hot. You know, I, I said we've got some streaky shooters. If we can come out and make some buckets, that's going to be an anomaly compared to what we've seen recently. <laughs> I think we've got a good chance to win that game because of the defense. If we see another offensive performance like we've seen the last couple of games, I think it's going to be a, another ten to fifteen point game that honestly plays out like what we've seen. It's going to, you know, Iowa State's going to rush out to a lead. We're going to battle back because of the defense and get it closer than it probably mm-hmm. ever should be, <laughs> and then Iowa State will pull pull away there late again.
2: Yeah, yeah, so. and it seems fair. It takes so much energy to come back in those games and just. So, it takes a lot of
0: energy, and it takes a lot of discipline to keep running yeah. with what you with what got you there. Um, yeah. And that was one of the things why I think it started to break down against against Texas Tech was we just we we got it back close, and then we lost the discipline of running what got us there.
1: Yeah. I think the the key there too is that Kansas State is obviously extremely good defensively. Iowa State's also pretty good defensively. I think the big difference there is is that Iowa State is a little bit more versatile on the scoring side, where they can you can you can get inside, outside. You got efficient bigs that can that can also hit outside shots. And I think and if Iowa State if if Iowa State's not knocking down threes, it can be it'll probably be it could be a close game the entire way, and maybe it ends up a four point game or something along those lines. Kind of like it, I mean, really kind of a lot like, lot like the Oklahoma State game where we just having trouble getting anything to go in into. The, Getting to going in the bucket and just never got to be a big spread. It was just a close game the whole way. I could definitely see something like that happening.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, because they can find a way to get some offense, um, you know, even if they don't win at Ames, at least get some momentum going, get some wins here and there. Um, I appreciate the Pac-12 trying to be a one bid league. Maybe leave some more open spots for a team <laughs> like Kansas State.
0: They're doing um, a good job
1: of it,
2: huh?
1: Yeah. yeah. Honestly, though, with uh, the Big Twelve has so much respect across the country uh-huh. that it like even a, even a sub five hundred conference record will probably get you into the tournament right yeah. i mean i, I think it, i the big 12 very well could be an eight bid league especially if the pac-12 shits their pants and only <laughs> yeah. gets one team one or two teams in
2: yeah
1: like there we could be talking about eight teams from the big 12 because there's just the big 12 is so well respected and then people yeah. understand that in a game like, conference play people the teams tend to beat each other up a little bit and mm-hmm. they're a lot better than their records indicate yeah Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely a seven bid league this year, Uh, much like it was last year. Uh, That eighth is really going to depend on just how competitive that eighth place team is. You know, if they if they get blown out a bunch, then it's probably at seven. But if they if they're hanging in every single game, then yeah, I think I think we could go eight deep again this year or this year as well too.
1: I mean, I think the the consensus bottom two teams in the Big Twelve right now are Oklahoma State and Baylor. And Oklahoma State, I think if they have the horses. They can give some people scares here and there. I'm not sure Baylor is going to be a huge threat through most of the season. But I mean, the eighth team is is what? I mean, is that is that West Virginia? Is it probably? I, mean, West, I don't know. Between they, West Virginia and Kansas, State, Kansas right State right now, State right now uh, the way we're playing. Okay, so it's I, I guarantee State, you, West
2: Virginia, Virginia. fans. Dean I Wade
1: comes back. Kansas State's going to be a damn. I mean, that's still well. If, that's a pretty formidable team.
2: If Dean I Wade comes back. Uh, I don't know. That's a it's a weird injury. It's one of those foot things that you just never know. Yeah,
1: feet are weird. Yeah. We got I mean, we got fortunate that Lindell only missed six weeks with his foot. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes those foot ones take forever to heal and they just nag forever. Right. I don't know, we'll see, I mean, if West Virginia is the eighth, is the eighth best team in your league, I mean, that's
2: yeah. that's a good league.
1: Even on a down year, Bob Hogan's usually has a pretty good squad. Right. That's, I mean, that one that says how deep the Big 12 is, but I think that it also just says, I mean, if people look and see West Virginia as the eighth team in the league and they have a decent record, they're competitive every game, I think they could get in. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right, well, we probably got to wrap it up there. Hopefully we'll see a good one on Saturday. Levi, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on.
2: So, yeah.